The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome to Postseason Baseball. The Chicago White Sox begin their march to the World Series. Here to recap the big moments and analyzing the critical decisions is your favorite source of Chicago White Sox talk. This is the Sox Machine postseason show with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to Sox Machine Live. I am Josh Nelson, alongside the managing editor of SoxMachine.com. It's Jim Margulis, and we are streaming live on our YouTube page at YouTube.com slash Sox Machine after Game 2 of the American League Division Series against the Houston Astros as the Astros win Game 2 9-4. to four. And even though the final score resembles a blowout, there were a couple of opportunities for the White Sox to steal Game 2 from the Astros and go back home, uh, tied up one game apiece. Uh, but instead, the Chicago White Sox, with their much-looked-forward-to blackout game, uh, it, hoping that it's not a funeral setting as they are down 2-0 and they're going to have to win the next three games of this five-game series uh, to keep their season alive. And, uh, <laughs> Jim, I... Oh, man. I, I I don't have a good place to start, but I reading your recap on SoxMachine.com, I think you summed it up well. The White Sox were outplayed. They were outmanaged. They were out everything. And mm-hmm. it's looking, honestly, it's just looking like Houston is better than the White Sox in almost every facet. Yeah, it's tough. It's, um, the, the, the issue, yeah, I think with the White Sox being unpolished, you know, it, when it comes to like their plate discipline being uh, sometimes out of control and with their tendency to hit balls in the ground, like they're not formidable the way the Astros lineup is. So they have to be really good. They have to really be really good on the margins. They have to take advantage of the innings they're able to cobble together. And this one was winnable. Um, you know, you can't count on winning a game with four runs, but you should be able to once in a while, especially in the postseason, like that's required. And they had a four, two lead. They had the first four innings done you know, covered. Like Lucas Shilito got through them better than Lance Lynn got through his four innings or three and two thirds innings. So they were in by postseason standards. Okay. Shape like not ideal, but a lot is not going to be ideal in October against really good teams. And, and even if they were playing like the Rays, who <laughs> look like they could be the uh, other American League team in the ALCS, like 
they would have to win games like this, uh, kind mm-hmm. of scratch and claw and figure it out. And just a lot went wrong and a lot, uh, you know, both mistakes made on the field, mistakes made in the dugout. Um, I would say like game one, you know, let's go back to game one, I think real quick. Mm-hmm. When it came to like Lance Lynn pitching to Michael Brantley and trying to manage a three-run deficit versus a five-run deficit it turned into, that's a case where I don't really blame Tony La Russa because it's game one of a series. You're going to have to try to uh, – they don't have a lot of experience in stitching together six innings of bullpen work, and it might have been in the losing cause anyway. So I wasn't inclined to really slam them too hard for that. But the lessons taken away in that game about the third time through, especially third time through for a pitcher who isn't doing that well, that's when you say, like, okay, we, we learned what happened in game one. Now we need to make sure that doesn't happen in game two because now you, they, they lost the game. They were expected to lose. They could learn things along the way. Great. They didn't tax anybody, maybe in a losing effort. Fine. Uh, but when it came to a 4-2 lead and then having those lessons pretty freshly imprinted on everybody's memory – that makes Tony LaRusso's job way more important, way more proactive. Now it's about you know, nursing a lead, not managing a deficit that might get out of hand anyway. And he got it off on a bad foot by uh, having Lucas Giolito face three batters uh, in a fifth inning that he probably shouldn't even started. And it kind of all slipped away from there. Yeah, the fifth inning. At the top of the fifth inning, what I put in my notes was the top of the fifth inning maybe saved the White Sox season. As a big turning point in the postseason, they scored three runs at the top of the fifth inning, scratching and clawing. They have a two-run lead on the Houston Astros. This could be the turning point of the series. Bottom of the fifth inning ended up being the turning point of the series because Giolito walks two guys. Those guys score because Larusa is going to Garrett Crochet in these tight spots. And I'm, I'm sure he's doing this because this is some Ned Yost managing of, well, Aaron Bummer's my seventh inning guy. I can't use him in the fifth inning. I got to use him in the seventh inning, which uh, is galaxy brain. Uh, and, of course, that's a tough spot for Garrett Crochet. And Crochet hasn't exactly proven that he can get out of those jams with any consistency. Mm-hmm. And, of course, you know, he allows a single to Kyle Tucker as the White Sox were playing a shift against Tucker and Tucker squeezes one through uh, the left side of the infield in which, you know, if the White Sox are playing double play defense, that's probably a double play. Uh, And we saw a lot of defensive alignment that is, I don't know, all it's part like all over the place and in no place to -hmm. make a play. And that was also part of the frustrating thing is that you're just watching the Houston Astros hit these grounders that go right up the middle of the infield and nobody, not Tim Anderson, not Lurie Garcia, not even Cesar Hernandez when he joins the game. Uh, They're not even close to making those plays. Mm -hmm. Then when White Sox hitters are hitting the same type of ground ball, you're watching Jose Altuve make all of the plays. Uh, And the White Sox are grounding into outs instead of hitting singles. And then you're watching the Astros hit singles and then they take the lead. And then Kyle Tucker hits the home run against, against Craig Kimbrell. And the post game comments are not making things any better at all for La Russa. And boy, I just, this is definitely a top five loss of the season for the White Sox for just on how things unraveled so quickly 
and there was it, this came this comes after a point that there was a high Yes, the White Sox got some momentum. They have a two-run lead in Houston. We're halfway done in the game. If he goes to Kopech, if the bullpen bridge holds up and they can get to Hendricks, they could steal this, and it's knotted up, and the White Sox have home field advantage. Instead, we're talking about the White Sox have to win three in a row, and if they do win the two home games, their reward is facing Lance McCullers in Houston again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's well, I think with crochet, well, I think we saw bummers inning and, and bummer having a very bummer inning. I, I think uh, I, I don't so much see that as a problem going to crochet in the fifth. My problem is having crochet come in with runners on like right. having somebody else's problem uh, to inherit. Like, yeah, maybe that's a case where I do go for bummer over crochet, but nobody was even warming. Yeah, uh, when Giulio started the inning. Robin Ventura BS. We have been podcasting for eight seasons and we have spent a lot. We have spent days of our life, Jim, complaining about Robin Ventura, not managing the bullpen, not having guys ready, and then just being caught completely off guard. And then his post-game conference saying, well, it's one of those things. And here Larusa makes a Robin Ventura mistake by not having anyone warmed up in the fifth inning. Like, are you watching the same game as everybody else is watching? Because, and this is not the first time that Giolito has looked gas and Larusa thought there was more left in the tank this season. Mm-hmm. So he makes that mistake again in 2021. I just, ah, oh, not having anyone warmed up in the bullpen. Like, come on, man. Yeah, that's the... That's that's to me the biggest issue and and made me worried because I could see you know the whole first sign of trouble thing yeah you know, that's a typical manager thing that's not Larusa specific but having seen you know like Framber Valdez the White Sox got to him Dusty Baker got him the hell out of there basically as soon as you know he could reasonably expect because Valdez was cruising until he wasn't Giolito was he cruised in the first and then never after and so there mm-hmm. wasn't the kind of you know manager. Uh, trap that sometimes they fall into. They say like, well, they don't want to warm somebody up when a guy is cruising because that sends the wrong message. You know, it's a distraction. That's a um, not showing faith. I get that as a human level, even if that maybe doesn't come into play, but just having nobody there when Geely was already laboring as you're showing the box score right now, five walks over four and thirds innings, uh, just, and then you have a rookie come in who didn't really even have a college season, didn't have a minor league season, pitched in front of no crowds last year. Now is now facing a postseason crowd that's going nuts with two runners who aren't his on the base to where he's not uh, throwing a slider with conviction at all. And he's afraid he's just throwing fastballs. And then Gurriel smashes one through the middle to uh, uh, tie the game. Uh, that's just a case where it's, you know, it, it doesn't, you know, you, we heard about Larusa being great at putting guys in position to su- succeed. That wasn't it. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> we've been told the nepotism, the drunk driving, all the drama about his hiring, it'll be worth it because you'll want Tony on the bench when the game is on the line come October. That's what and... Jerry Reinsdorf said. He, uh, well, uh, and when finally making comments to the public because the, they won the division, he could say it worked. He could come out and say, of course, I knew it was going to work. And he's going to be our guy in October because he knows I handle pitchers. And so now that this happened and we'll see what happens with the rest of the series, but we're not going to hear from Reinsdorf afterwards when his vision did not materialize because he would be <laughs> wrong or at least, you know, he guessed wrong. I mean, it's a case where like we saw Renteria, you know, uh, 
kind of look in over his head last year. Yes. Uh, and a lot of managers do. It's like, that's not a uh, Tony La Russa specific problem, but when you go out of your way to hire him, and then when you take a victory lap after this you know, regular season saying, this is why I hired him, it does raise standards. <laughs> it does raise expectations for something like this happening. And in the case where like, say Crochet comes in, starts the fifth and gets in the same amount of trouble, yeah, maybe you can second guess and say, well, Crochet pitched yesterday. It should have been Kopech. But like, he just, you know, it's not that they didn't push the wrong buttons. He didn't push any buttons. And that's, I think, where, you know, what, you know, the, the Hall of Famer baseball person. <laughs> like, uh, where, where was that guy? And, and yeah, so on and so forth. And there's a lot of people after the game asking, where's Michael Kopech? Like, if you have this great weapon that you can use, why haven't you used them? And in his post-game conference, Tony La Russa said that if we were in a position to win, we would have used Kopech. I didn't my see that brain, quote. I, I could have done a my, spit take. <laughs> my, my brain wants to melt and pour out of my ear because you were winning in the fifth inning, Tony. You were winning at the halfway point of the game. Mm-hmm. And then he was asked about Kimbrel, and LaRusso said Kimbrel is a closer at heart. That is not the the role that he's been uh, meant to pitch in. So here mm-hmm. we are now after game two, and we're back to this conversation when Kimbrel struggled after the White Sox acquired him. Should he be pitching the ninth inning because he only feels comfortable pitching in a save situation? And the season is on the line. The next loss ends the White Sox season. I, yeah, yeah. I, I, it, it's really hard to feel good about this team. And Tim Anderson, I give him a lot of credit. In his postgame conference, he's still trying to remain upbeat. He is still beating the drum. Hey, the season's not over. We've won three games in a row before. We could do it again. And he is still, you know, Pouring out that confidence. We're not mm-hmm. dead yet. But after watching this game and we first guessed Tony's decision in the fifth inning, it blew up on him and his post game comments. I don't know if he's going to learn on Saturday. And honestly, there's just not enough time for Tony the Russa to learn. The White Sox are now going to have to play at a level of baseball that Tony the Russa cannot be a factor in the game. And the only way you can do that is if your offense plays some tremendous baseball and they put up a bunch of runs on the Houston Astros early and you get either Carlos Rodon or Dylan Cease to pitch really well and keep posting up zeros and you're up five or six runs in the fifth inning instead of two. Yeah, we got a comment from Ray saying that the uh, direct quote was, if we were in a position to need Kopech to win, which... Yeah, it's a, a case where, yeah, I, I'm guessing he wants to save Kopech to work with Rodon and the way he's talking about Rodon and, you know, and, and, and talking around the game three starter, there's seems to be a lot of, um, not as much trust in Dylan Cease as he thinks Cease might have earned with the way he finished the season, like the way he wrapped up. And it seems like you can't win a World Series without Dylan Cease pitching yeah, no, you I would say pitching at all. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and then pitching, you know, relatively well. I mean, they might lose, you know, theoretically 
if they somehow got to the World Series, and this is very theoretical <laughs> discussion at this point, but you would need Cease making starts. And if they lose the starts, he makes okay, but at least you need him filling those days. So to, you know, be talking about avoiding him when Rodon is looked iffy and near. And in order to have Rodon, you need to take away resources that help you win a game E2. Uh, that's what is really, you know, over the next two games, like they're going to need Tony La Russa to manage his ass off. Like that's the case where now it's not simple. Now it's, you know, Rodon for three, Kopech for three. Uh, what do you do after, if, if you're lucky? <laughs> that's if you're, if that's Rodon for one, Kopech for three, like you're Kopech for two, everybody for an inning. It could be a whole bunch of things. Uh, it's going to take a lot of um, desperation. And that's where the White Sox are now. So it's a, you're, you're needing Tony La Russa more than ever in a game where he was, he might've had his worst game of the season. Just when you factor in, you know, the slow hook, the relief choices made, and then also the swap of Larry Garcia for Adam, or no, Cesar Hernandez for Adam Engel. And I don't know if you saw any quotes about that. I did not yet. I'll have to keep an eye out to see if it came up, but just, that happening just there was a lot that went wrong in a lot of different facets and then and also the, just the as you mentioned the defensive alignment too was like just off like we've seen bummer innings go bad but usually it's just like out you know the uh the ball just bounces underneath uh tim anderson's the extent of his reach or you know some uh, a second baseman is uh, sliding to the hole up the middle and can't get a clean handle on it as he tries to make an exchange like we see usually th those kind of plays that you know, stress the infielders past their breaking points. But the infielders, as you mentioned, like they weren't in the, in the camera, <laughs> they just, they weren't yeah. uh, there. And uh, is that a matter of information or is that just the Astros having good swings and being really hard to shift against? Yeah. That's, I think a debate to have, but just they, all this stuff that helps supplement what the players are doing on the field was not there. And now you're going to need a whole lot more of that in order to survive. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And again, the way that they can overcome this, because I just don't have a lot of confidence that in the next 48 hours, things are going to magically be better and the White Sox are going to magically be managed better and be better prepared from the coaching staff for the game is that offensively, they're just going to have to come out and have some big hits. And that's the next thing we're going to talk about here on this episode of Sox Machine Live. Where's the power? Mm-hmm. Lots of singles. <laughs> okay, that's that's fine. That's good. Uh, no doubles, no triples, no home runs. And I cannot stress this enough. The teams that are out homering their opponents this postseason are undefeated. They have won every game. Last year, they were 35 and 5. That's an 875 winning percentage. If the White Sox offense does not hit for power at home, the season is ending at mm-hmm. home. Like, I that cannot be said any simpler. So, Jim, yeah. any idea where the power went? Well, part of the power ended up in the Astros' gloves. I mean, we talk about defensive alignments, <laughs> like True. just. Whether it's, you know, uh, Kyle Tucker flagging down Yasmani Grandal's 102-mile-per-hour drive to right field or a uh, triple-digit line drive going right to Alex Bregman, who's standing, like, right over third base. Or, you know, uh, Moncada smash getting flagged down by Gurriel, who was, co- you know, he was holding a runner on, and so he was there. You know, that's part of it is bad luck. That doesn't answer all of it, but just, you know. And then I think there's other stuff like defensive alignment where, outfielders are where they need to be to not let balls get through the gap. Like they're hitting into shifts and they're, they're either hitting into shifts or they're hitting close enough to the spray charts to where damage is minimized. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the, then you just have the matter too of like the first time through for Valdez and uh, the, or sorry, I should say the back of the first time through through the second time through for Valdez, where they just couldn't lay off that breaking ball in the dirt was reminiscent of the White Sox struggles against McCullers you know, early on. Like in a couple games, they've had just some ruts of innings where they aren't able to get a bead on a good breaking ball, which limits the amount of batted balls that they have to play with later in the game. And then just so happens that when they do come up with those hits, the Astros are standing right there. And it's a case where, you know, like I, I know there's, uh, you know, the Astros' reputation for, um, you know, Clean play, we'll say. <laughs> Integrity is uh, they'll have to, they'll need a couple decades, I think, and maybe uh, ownership change and whatever to overcome that. But when it comes to defensive alignments, yeah, you can't cheat your way into that. That's just, you know, preparation meeting, you know, or like good luck as the residue of design. And that's a case where they seem to be designed pretty well. And maybe the White Sox are just more, when they have to do damage, they're, they're more predictable than maybe the Astros are in the way they do damage. Yeah, taking a look at the White Sox box score in game two, Tim Anderson had three hits. Luis Robert had three hits. We're going to talk about him in a moment. Uh, Jose Abreu had another multi-hit game and picked up another RBI. Uh, Yasmani Grandal had a sacrifice fly for an RBI. Aloy Jimenez was one for four. He had an RBI. Uh, that came with the bases loaded as he grounded out. Uh, up the middle was a nice play by Jose Otuve to stop a... Uh, from that being a two-run single, and kept it to a one-to-nothing lead for the White Sox in the first inning. Uh, Andrew Vaughn picked up his first postseason hit of his career, and uh, Lurie Garcia went one for four, uh, and Adam Engel went zero for two 
with a strikeout. And I don't know what the White Sox are going to do in right field moving forward uh, as Adam Engel's not doing too much offensively right now for the White Sox. But all right, so everything we've been talking about is super dour. Uh, at the moment, uh, I, let's let's try to be positive here because again, the White Sox. Tim Anderson's right; they can win three straight games and they can win in five. Prove Jim right and make him look really smart to pick the White Sox in five games and go to the American League Championship Series. And if they do that, a big reason will be Luis Robert. Luis Robert has been awesome in these first two games for the White Sox. I think technically the Astros have only gotten Robert out once uh, as he reached on an error in game one, which technically counts as an out in the box score. Um, But even with his out, Robert moved the runners from first to second to second and third. So it was like a productive out. And Mm -hmm. he has just been tremendous. And I know that he hasn't hit for any extra base hits because nobody has. Uh, but Luis Robert, Jim, man, he has been an offensive catalyst for the White Sox. He's constantly on base. He's having the kind of um, you know full season, I think, when we, we were thinking about Robert last year and how he had a great August, terrible September, had moments in October, you know, only three games, but seemed to be uh, climbing his way out of it and had momentum for next year. And then he has the injury that costs him, uh, you know, three months. And we're thinking like, oh, so much for his progress. Like we thought, yeah, he was, he was looking great in April. And we think, okay, you know, there's going to be a, a reckoning at some point. And now you're going to have that injury forcing that reckoning. And it's never happened. And he's looking under control and he's lifting the ball regularly. I think that's like the case where, uh, you know, when you're trying to figure out like the flaws of the White Sox, one is that they're over aggressive or that they don't, don't draw walks. They, and, you know, Robert doesn't really draw walks yet. Uh, that's where like the Mike Trout com, you know, talk falls flat. And I wish they wouldn't mention him just because that's a big, he's hard to get out, you know. But Robert is getting there. I mean, he'll draw more walks as he keeps hitting like this and, and uh, keeps proving that you, you can't get him out or just by in the strike zone anymore. You have to go outside the strike zone. He'll draw more walks that way, but he's not there yet. Sometimes that exacerbates some team-wide issues, but he's making good contact. He's uh, lifting the ball. He's somebody who's not a threat to ground into double plays, really. So it's just, that's the, a nice player to build around. Like, I, I think as the White Sox go in the offseason, and we'll, we'll hold off on the greater discussion yet because we're going to have, you know, we, we we're, could be approaching that conversation within the next week or so, <laughs> offseason plan projects and whatnot. But the White Sox have some decisions to make on similar players uh, at, at, you know, corner outfield and first base and such. Like, they're going to have to figure out how to diversify the roster a little bit to help them be harder to game plan around. But Robert is not one of those players. I feared that he might be. I I feared that he might be like a 250 hitter who struggles to get his OBP over 300, uh, hits for power, plays defense. But I just thought, you know, he's going to contribute to the flaws of the offense in a way that needs to be accounted for. And right now, you know, facing the, you know, one of the best pitching staffs and, you know, know, well-managed pitching staffs in baseball under the Bryce lights, he's still having very composed at bats and doing damage on strikes. So, uh, he's showing everything you want to see so far that that's still very much within the shape of player. He is like, he's not doing anything un Luis Robert. Like he's just being the very best Luis Robert he can be. And uh, that's pretty awesome to see. 
Yeah, it's not like the highlights that a Randy Rosarena, right, from game one. A Rosarena hit that monster home run, and then later in the game, a Rosarena stole home uh, home plate against the Boston Red Sox mm-hmm. because the pitcher's not even paying attention to a Rosarena at third base. But Robert is, even when he is hitting into outs, uh, that he's forcing the issue enough with his speed down first base to draw a throwing error to, to reach and he got hit by a pitch early in this series and had me holding my breath, hoping that he's okay and he's not injured, but it's right now the white Sox need a big hit in this series. If they need a Mm -hmm. big hit to win game three, it's not Jose Abreu or Yasmani Grandal or Tim Anderson or Aloy Jimenez. I want at the plate. I want Luis Robert because Robert has got the hot bat right now and he's putting the ball in play consistently and he's hitting, he's smacking the ball really hard as well. He's been tremendous so far in these first two games for the White Sox. And if you're looking for, you know, a silver lining or a bright spot to be happy as a White Sox fan, Luis Robert has been awesome in the first two games. I do have to say Yasmani Grandal needs to make an adjustment for game three. The Houston Astros are not afraid of Grandal. Mm-hmm. They are attacking him, Jim. They're not messing around. They'll flip a curveball for strike one. Grandal doesn't want anything to do with it because it's spin. And then they'll pound him with a fastball on the second pitch, thinking that the pitch is going to be away and they're going to stay away from Grandal. He needs to be more aggressive early in the count because Houston's not playing around with Grandal. Well, the last at bat was quality, though. Just, it was. Yeah. So he's, Tucker made a great play. Yep. So it's, you know, it is a case where, yeah, he does. He needs to resume that aggression he's shown during this really hot stretch. Like he's been a sort of earlier in the bats. And that could be a case where, you know, when you have so many ugly plate appearances around you, <laughs> especially when they get into the uh, fits that they had against McCullers and then against Valdez for that little stretch, like he probably wants to be a bastion of, discipline and control uh but you know perhaps that's something that can be used against him like you said but uh you know the the last swing that he had was good like and it's the at bat you want to have it's just a case where yeah just batting average on balls in play was not on the white Sox side and you know that's the case where you know as we talked about before just you know when you know if the astros are gonna be better at beating babip than other teams are then perhaps, uh, you know, just everything else needs to be tightened up. Defense, managing, talent, uh, deployment, everything like that. Yeah, right now, after the first two games, the Astros' bats are too much for the White Sox pitchers. So it's time for the White Sox offense. They're going to have to step up. They're just going to have to step up. Uh, Like, I'm thinking they're going to have to score like six or seven runs on mm-hmm. Sunday to keep the season alive. Like there's no, there's no choice. Uh, you're facing a rookie pitcher and Luis Garcia who threw really well uh, against the white Sox, but that was at home. And now he's going to be the rookie on the mound in front of a frenzy crowd at guarantee Ray field on Sunday, the white Sox offense needs to punish him and they need to punish him early and they need to make it a laugher early so they can at least get one win because now you're you are definitely going game by game and mm-hmm. we talked about this yesterday inning by inning, by inning yeah uh we talked about this yesterday was game two a must win and you know it was an 8.5 on a 10 point scale well now every game 
is a must win. Every mm-hmm. game is a 10 on the 10 point scale of must win. So that's the position that the White Sox are at. And this is going to be the common question throughout Chicago media on the radio and in the print and on the web. Game three, is it going to be a party or a funeral? Because uh, <laughs> everyone's going to be wearing black and it's going to be a blackout. How are you feeling about game three? Uh, as uh, we'll preview this on Twitter spaces Sunday afternoon and Saturday, we're taking the day off. But how are you feeling about game three, Jim? I feel like there should be more life. And one of the tough things about you know, the White Sox being down 0-2 is that before the game, you could see him like dancing and cheering during batting practice and such. And you might see like the, the comments saying like, you know, what do you have to smile about? You know, and, and, you know, Sure looks like a relaxed team for, you know, who's, you know, once the game starts, just start crapping the bed. But they they need to be who they are. Like, they they can't be, like, you know, I, I guess you don't want them to be tighter. <laughs> you don't want them mm-hmm. to be uh, more nervous. So they have to, you know, get it out somehow. But when it comes to, like, just the atmosphere, I think fans, you know, in the crowd, and I think there will be because you pay a lot of money. You don't want to be, you don't want to show up to not have a fun time before uh, the Astros uh, or White Sox defense or what have you makes it not fun. But I'm hoping that, you know, the White Sox uh, fans show up like it's, you know, zero, zero. Like they, they try to set the circumstances out of their mind. They haven't got a chance yet to have postseason fun. So I hope that, you know, they come out looking to enjoy themselves and think that the White Sox can make it enjoyable. And you hope that the White Sox live up to that themselves and give them something to cheer about, you know, and, and fuel that, you know, they kind of bounce off each other. I think as the capability being a wild game, like the kind of just a, you know, a slobber knocker type, you know, eight to six type score, double digits, perhaps just because um, we have seen from the first two games with, with uh, Dusty using, uh, Presley and Graveman twice that he might not be all that convinced about his bullpen uh, or at least trying to work things out. So mm-hmm. if the White Sox can get in that bullpen faster, uh, yeah, perhaps they can just have some wild crooked numbers going back and forth. I think it's going to be that kind of game and I hope fans are, you know, up for it, you know, both uh, health wise <laughs> and uh, energy wise uh, because, you know, you pay a lot of money for postseason tickets. So you may as well, Try to make your own fun. I did see a comment on Twitter. Hey, party or Irish wake. Either way, there's going to be lots of drinking. Uh, so <laughs> I thought that was pretty humorous. And yeah. we'll see. We'll, we'll see in what happens for the White Sox in game three of the American League Division Series. Jim and I will be recapping that on Sox Machine Live uh, after Sunday night's game between the White Sox and the Houston Astros. So again, tomorrow we have the day off uh, as far as any type of broadcasting. We will have the Twitter space starting on Sunday at 4 p.m. Central Time to preview Game 3. That will last just an hour to give everyone an opportunity to get to the stadium and get to their seats for Game 3 of the American League Divisional Series. Uh, I do have to say, as uh, we wrap up this edition of Sox Machine Live, and thank you everyone for jumping in and watching the live stream on youtube.com slash socks machine. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter. We're at socks machine, but if you are an Instagram user, we have an Instagram at socks machine. 
Uh, and definitely follow us because I'll be taking pictures and videos of game three at Guarantee Rate Field uh, to try to capture as far as the big moments and the atmosphere uh, at Guarantee Rate Field for the first postseason home game for the Chicago White Sox since 2008. Uh, so again, if you're an Instagram user, follow us there at Sox Machine. If you just discovered the Sox Machine podcast and Sox Machine Live, you can subscribe to our YouTube page at youtube.com slash Sox Machine. And if you don't get an opportunity to watch the live stream of Sox Machine Live, we always take the audio recording of the show and upload it into the podcast feed, which you can subscribe to the Sox Machine podcast wherever you listen to podcasts such as Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Also, if you would like more from us, go to patreon.com slash machine to sign up as our Patreon supporters, get exclusive content, they get ad-free versions of both the podcast and the website, and they get the first opportunity of getting our new Socks Machine swag, like the Socks Machine ball caps Jim and I are wearing, uh, and the Socks Machine pint glasses as well. We have plans starting at $2 a month, and we also do have annual plans too that save you 9% from the monthly plans and you can sign up at patreon.com slash socks machine socks machine live is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things chicago white Sox baseball and part of the blue wire podcast network alongside jim margulis i'm josh nelson thanks for watching and listening This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.